Hello guys, and welcome back to the Roots Away podcast. I'm your host, Jason Ringenberg, as always. Today we have Ryan Redfoot. He has cultivated a community in Moab, Utah that is pretty unmatched anywhere in the world. They throw amazing celebrations of life and love and passion and understanding of each other and all of our lives together and all of our lives in the universe in general as well. You know, amazing DJ, amazing person. Love, love him so much and love talking to him. So here's Ryan Redfoot. Please have as much fun as I do with him as well. Thank you guys. Roots away. Thank you for listening. Here we go again. Ryan Redfoot. You. What's up, Ryan? How's it going? Hey, man. How's it going? Oh, good, good. Yeah, dude, happy to have you on. Like, uh, I don't think I've ever like really had like a one-on-one conversation with you like that much. Yeah, no, I don't think we have. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and uh, pretty stoked to chat with you. I appreciate you um, bringing me on and wanting to hear my story it's actually a story that i've been asked a lot about lately um so yeah i'm, I'm excited to share it because I'm, I'm inspired by it and uh, i know a lot of other people are um so yeah yeah thank you yeah i think the I first time i met it. you actually was uh at you and andy's birthday party at uh in moab uh, the one where you put the space net up and what was that arch? Uh, looking glass. <laughs> wow, how arch. how epic was yeah. that? Yeah, up <laughs> in uh, Looking Glass Rock. That was, that was yeah, uh, yeah, that was pretty epic. That was all Andy's idea. I mean, he's a he's a yeah, pretty rad. That's one that's still talked about to this day. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, I think my friend Leah told me about it, uh, Leah Bear. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, she was like, yeah, there's a huge party out there. And, you know, I like kind of knew Andy at that point, but uh, not mm-hmm. very much. <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, yeah. Andy was a, a big inspiration to me. Like even even before I moved to Moab and I met him, uh, it's like always kind of watched his base jumping videos on YouTube and followed him on social media. And then when I actually moved to Moab and met him, we like instantly clicked and then figured out we have the same birthday. Um, so almost every year we kind of do something together on our birthday and it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, Andy took me on a tandem base jump which was really fun. Um, nice. So anyway, just to get into your background, um, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Alabama, um, a town called Phoenix City, Alabama. And um, 
has an interesting story. It was the, my hometown, Phoenix City, is the original Sin City before Las Vegas, believe it or not. <laughs> There's an old black and white movie about it called The Phoenix City Story, and it was just kind of a crazy place to live way back in the early days, um, just when, when prohibition was a big thing and moonshine and the mob and all that. So a lot of people don't really know about that, um, but it's a pretty cool piece of history, uh, my hometown. That's interesting. Uh, What kind of things did you get into, like, as a teenager, like, when you were growing up or, you know? Yeah, so I I started doing uh, martial arts when I was seven years old, six or seven. And, uh, like I, I played all the sports before that baseball, football, basketball, and they never really clicked with me. I just wasn't good at them. Um, and I started doing martial arts. Uh, my grandfather was into it and, uh, she went and signed me up one day and that pretty much took over my life. Um, and I started competing in, tournaments, competitions uh, at eight years old on a regional level and uh, never really like won anything, kind of was losing all the time. (laughs) It was like, you know, going to these competitions with my grandfather. And then um, when I was about 11 years old, it started to become really serious. And I started taking private lessons and really training and started competing on a national level and then a, a world level. Um, and uh, actually kind of for, for that career from about 13 years old, 12 or 13 to 18 years old, I, uh, I, I traveled almost every single weekend, was checked out of school like every Friday. Um, my, you know, my parents and my grandparents actually had to go into school every year and be like, Hey, so this is what we do. (laughs) Please excuse it. He's going to be checked out of school a lot, but started competing on a national and international level and, uh, ended up with seven world titles and 24 national titles in sport martial arts. Um, and kind of retired from competing at, 18 years old um and then just kind of still would teach classes every single day I remember being in high school and I'd I'd leave school and immediately go to the dojo which even as a teenager I had full control over (laughs) had a key knew the alarm code would open the school every day teach classes all day long um the last class would end at like 8.30 at night. And then that's when I would train to about midnight every night. Go home, do my homework, do it all again the next day. Um, so it was pretty serious. I was, I was really into it and just kind of dove right in. Um, you know, kind of like how I've done everything in my life. And it's it's always worked out in the, in the best ways. But... Yeah, I, I retired from competing at 18 and just kind of chilled and um, did a lot of partying with my friends after high school <laughs> and just kind of then was on this path of like, all right, what's next? Um, 
I, I kind of started to feel real bad because, you know, oh, my, my friend group, I, I could tell that just no one was really going anywhere. No one was really trying to, to better themselves or anything. And I, I think I stood out in that way, whereas, like, I saw something more out there, but I didn't really know how to get out of my hometown. And for, for me, the only option was joining the military. <clears throat> and so at 20 years old, I joined the army. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, enlisted and uh, became a ranger and was stationed at 1st Ranger Battalion in Savannah, Georgia, which is only four hours from my hometown. So it was nice to be uh, close, but not too close. You know, I wanted to get out of there because um, I, I just felt like I would rot away if I didn't leave that town. <laughs> so I think joining the military was one of the smartest decisions that I ever made. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's crazy thinking back everything that's happened in my life, everything I've done has kind of led up to now, like what I'm doing now, it's just crazy to think about how everything that took place it was meant to happen even though a lot of it was a lot of it was good a lot of it was really bad um yeah but yeah joined the army um, when i was when i was 20 sorry go ahead yeah could you tell me like one of the craziest stories of being in the army rangers oh man so many stories <laughs> Uh, it, it's, that was a, that was a crazy unit to be a part of, you know, you have to, you, you, you do the whole basic training thing and then you have to go to airborne school and then, then you have to go to a, through a selection process to, and you have to be, you know, selected to become a part of that unit. Um, and I think in my graduating class, it was like, three or 400 on the first day and over half were dropped the next day. And I, I think we graduated somewhere around 40 or 50 at the end, two months later. Um, so that was a huge accomplishment and uh, got to my unit and literally deployed to Afghanistan the next day. <laughs> so 21 years old, just this young kind of this kid who's just trying to figure out life and here I am in in Afghanistan on my first deployment and that was wow. a, a bit of a culture shock I bet um, and really and it, I did almost seven years total and within that amount of time I deployed six times to Afghanistan um, and that really shaped um, who I am today, obviously, as it would for anyone. Um, some good experiences, but also some really, some really bad experiences. Um, and would you be willing to talk about like a bad experience and maybe a good one as well? Well, yeah, um, a good experience was 
the the first squad that I was a part of that you know I deployed with these guys my first two deployments and then they started kind of fading out of the military and and getting out um I, I really looked up to my my squad leader and my team leaders and the other guys that were on my team um solid humans very solid humans uh and and, and learned a lot from them um, but even with that, there, yeah, there was a lot of bad involved and obviously, you know, war is bad. <laughs> it absolutely sucks. And in the beginning, I really tried to force myself to be that person and, and try to fit in that way because in that, in that unit, you know, you're, 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 you're programmed to kill people and that's it. Like that's your job title. Um, and what bothered me the most, you know, it's very heavy. Yeah. Very heavy. Um, and it, 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 you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a young kid. I don't know any better. I think it's, I think I'm doing the right thing, you know, and it, it took a couple of deployments to figure out like, no, this is the wrong thing. This is very wrong. And I'd say around my fourth deployment is when I started to figure out that this is all just fucked. It's all fucked. And really started to to fall out of it and disagree with everything that was happening. You know, like, why why am I being sent out to kill this one particular man just because somebody else told me he's a bad person it just it it started to 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 really eat at me um and it was at that point you know my fourth deployment yeah it was at that point in my fourth deployment where i just decided like man i've had enough like once my contract is up i'm out of (laughs) here i um and, and like going back to what I was saying, like with, you know, trying to figure out what else was out in the world from being a teenager and getting out of martial arts and just trying to figure out where I was going. It's like full circle. So here I am, like I'm getting out of the military. There's There's got to be so much more out there in the world. You know, I think I was a lot more open minded than other guys that I was working with um and wow i'm so glad i got out (laughs) so i ended up getting out in 2016 uh and i was married at the time i got married in 2015 uh just kind of fell in love with this girl that i had met through skydiving actually um so i was already a skydiver while i was in the military um, so we got, we got married and had a cute little family. We had, you know, a dog and a couple of cats and <laughs> we just bought a house in Savannah. Um, yeah. Awesome. I mean, that sounds like a, a crazy, um, upbringing. So how old were you when you got out of the military? Let me see. I got out when I was twenty. 20, I think 
20, I was turning 26 just after I got out, I believe, maybe 27. Yeah. Uh, it was in yeah. 2016. I can't math. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, did you get but, into skydiving because of the military? A little bit, a little bit. Skydiving was always appealing to me, like my entire life, um, but kind of just never really knew how to get into it or didn't have the money. Um, but the, the military provided both of those things. It, you know, I met a lot of other guys who were skydivers and um, also the military brought the, the money to be able to do that. And I, I really knew I wanted to do it. It was just kind of just called to me. And um, just like everything in my life, I've, I've, I've always chased those calls, those pulls, um, and, and it's always worked out. And, uh, so I, I started skydiving in 2012 after my third deployment and it immediately just took over. It's like an immediate passion. Like, Oh yeah, this is definitely one of what I want to pursue. Um, and went full in, you know, but it was just kind of a, a weekend thing at the time. Um, so, you know, I'd go to do the army thing during the week. And then if I had a weekend off, I was at the drop zone and I, I owe a lot to skydiving and the sky community because it's a very, very solid, loving community. And I think that's (laughs) very solid, loving community. And I think that's what helped me while I was in the military is I had that, that outlet to escape to on the weekends instead of just going out to the bars and doing that thing because Savannah is a, a drinking city. It's uh, there's a lot of kind of that type of vibe there. Um, and that led a lot of, uh, of my friends down a deep path. And yeah, I truly believe it's because they didn't have that outlet, that community to escape to when you, when you left work. Um, so I truly believe that skydiving, like, saved my life in that way. Uh, yeah, yeah. At least so, you have a, a, a passion to to pursue yeah. instead of uh, going down that that path of partying and debauchery. Yes. And yeah, yes, I yeah. was all about it at first. You know, I'd go to the bars every weekend with with the boys and and do the thing. Um, and, and as soon as I started skydiving, it was, as soon as I got my license, that just like ended, you know, I was at the drop zone every weekend and it was at that point where I just kind of gave up on drinking. It was like, all right, this is, it's not serving me any well. And I don't even, I don't even drink to this day now. Um, well, that's healthy. I mean, you know, <laughs> very, very, very much skydiving seems like it might be kind of dangerous <laughs> to most people. Um, could you like yeah, give a is. little insight into like how it's not that dangerous? Because I'm pretty sure it's not that dangerous. Well, it is and it isn't, you know, it's as skydiving is a sport that is, is as safe as you make it. Um, there are a lot of dangerous aspects to it. Um, but also, yeah, it is, it, it can be very safe compared to, a lot of other things. Um, 
I never really had any like anything great. Well, I had a mid-air collision uh, one time, which ended up I had to get shoulder surgery from uh, just kind of a, a freak accident. But other than that, nothing, you know, ever experienced, nothing crazy that I have experienced um, to myself personally. I've seen other people like fuck themselves up pretty bad. And it was just kind of the, it's the nature of the sport. You know, you have to be willing to accept like, hey, this could seriously injure me or kill me because, <laughs> you know, it can. Um, and skydiving's hard. It takes, it's, it's really hard learning how to fly your body falling 120 plus miles per hour through the sky. Um, and then, you know, learning to fly a canopy and, and putting that canopy down in a big open field safely without hurting yourself so it's a it's a very fast paced sport which is yeah, good yeah I bet. yeah um could you give me an example of like uh did you ever have like a close call or anything like that um or like what was your biggest challenge like starting skydiving i'd say that i i, I don't think there was too many challenges really it's something that kind of um just was a was a, a a nice flow for me you know like like i said i found that community and that safe space for me to escape to um and just you know the sport in general that sensation of just hugging yourself out of an airplane <laughs> back to the <laughs> earth is just kind of a crazy feeling, you know? Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've done a skydive before you have. Uh, I have not done a skydive before. I've only done ah. uh, a tandem with uh, Andy, a tandem base jump. So I've only, that's a whole different beast. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get into, yeah. Did you ever get into base jumping? I did, yeah, I did. Um, but it it base jumping would never really clicked for me. Uh, and the thing I loved about skydiving so much is, you know, I I really pushed to get all of my instructor ratings. Um, so that was one of my biggest passions in the sport. And then also being a proficient canopy pilot, I loved flying small, fast parachutes. <laughs> um, but the real passion was was passing on that knowledge that I had learned from skydiving onto other new skydivers, um, and so getting all of my instructor ratings was a a, a, a big goal and uh, made it happen. Um, I actually taught my mom how to skydive, which is you know, some of my most memorable jumps ever. That was <laughs> That's really, awesome. really cool to experience, taking my mom on some solo jumps, watching her pull her own parachute and land it. Uh, really cool, really cool. Um, but sorry, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. I, I, I'm enjoying the, uh, the story. Um, I was just asking, like, did you ever have a close call? Or yeah, like, um, in what in what way do you mean? Like, like uh, your parachute, like a parachute, not opening or like blind twist. Yeah, or... 
Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. That's something that definitely happens and you are, you're trained for that situation and, um, it's something that you train for before each jump, you know, actually, especially when you're, you're a new jumper and you're just starting out, um, you know, it's very important, but the procedures of kind of getting away from a main parachute malfunction and onto the reserve, they're very simple. Um, and it works. It's a, it's a proven system that works, you know? Um, I think on average you, in on average, it's like one in every 750 jumps that you'll have a malfunction and you need to go to your reserve parachute. Um, it's not very often, but yeah, I think I had to, I think it was seven times maybe that I had to get rid of my main parachute and get a reserve out above my head and land that. Um, but that was seven times over almost 4,000 skydives, you know? So, um, it is one of those things yeah. that happens. It just, it's just kind of parachute dependent. It's, it's, um, body position dependent on, you know, how, what your body position is relative to falling through the sky when the parachute opens. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but it is something that happens and it can be scary, but it's always worked out, you know, um, the, the reserve parachutes are, are very reliable and, you know, it could take hours to pack and you have to be a certified rigger to, to pack a reserve parachute. Whereas anyone can pack a main parachute up in five minutes. Um, so there's a lot more, it goes into making sure that those reserve chutes actually work and are going to do their job. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, how does that? Uh, so base is like a whole different beast, and you whole did different beast. Yeah, you know, I I started base jumping back in Georgia, which there's not much to base jump off there, just a bunch of antennas, uh, maybe a couple low bridges. Um, but it was just, it was one of those sport base jumping was just something that was hard for me to get into because it didn't have it was just scary. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you're a lot closer to the ground. You only have one parachute and it has to work. You know, if it doesn't, it's disaster. You know, obviously I've lost, I don't countless friends to, to base jumping and it's, it's just, uh, I mean, it's the world's most dangerous sport legit. Um, so and I think I, I really tried to push myself to enjoy base jumping, especially when I got to Moab, because Moab is like the mecca for base jumping and extreme sports of all kinds, really. Um, but it, you know, I kind of I kind of figured out early that uh, it just that wasn't for me. Um, my passion was it was in skydiving at the time. I loved being an instructor and I, I loved teaching the sport um and so yeah the, the base jumping yeah. part just never really clicked i've only done like 23 base jumps um you know and it just wasn't for me and that's okay and and uh, yeah i mean yeah. I, I just did the one with andy and um, the tandem and yeah. i felt like it was way too much consequence like for the reward <laughs> you know 
Yeah, definitely. Is. It's like, definitely it's is. over in like a minute. It's, right. It's over in like 30 seconds, like a minute. And you're right. Like, uh, Yep. Yeah. I I love to see my friends base jumping. It it brings them just so much joy. And that's what it's all about. You know, like do, do what brings you joy, no matter how dangerous it is. Like if it, if it's bringing you pure joy, you got to chase that. You got to chase your joy. For me, it didn't bring me joy skydiving at the time brought me a lot of joy so that was that was my my big focus yeah yeah for me it's snowboarding and rock climbing but yeah love it yeah so uh so uh why did you move to moab or like how did you find your way to to moab oh man complete 180 (laughs) once i made that switch to moab um so after i got out of the military um I was married at the time, um, <clears throat> and my wife, then she kind of, it, you know, it was hard for me to, to find work, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't want to work a job, you know, I wanted to get out of the military and be a, a full-time skydiver. Um, and the, the skydiving was really on the weekends at the time. So it was, it was just kind of a struggle to keep up you know I didn't save that much money after the military um and so it was kind of a struggle to keep up work job and I was just so infatuated with skydiving at the time um and I think it had some effects on our relationship and so you know it was just maybe like two or three months after getting out of the military my wife just left just woke up one day and was like i'm out peace it was very random very random um so she left and took her took our two cats with her and the two dogs that we had were with me um and literally three days after that one of my dogs died so random just woke up one morning and he was a a vegetable just he couldn't move and it's like what and so he actually passed away on his second birthday and this is just like three days after you know my my wife left me so i i had my other my other dog pilot which everyone knows pilot Uh, he was eight months yeah. old at the time, and, and that's kind of the glue that held me together. And I remember just crying, bawling on my kitchen floor, and he was just there to comfort me the whole time. It's a very confusing time, very dark place. I mean, a very dark place. Very, it, it, I was headed down a slope that wasn't good. Um and one day I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and he started talking about DMT. And so I started doing some more research into DMT and I found some <laughs> in Savannah and I smoked it. And when I came out of that trip, I knew exactly what needed to happen like right away. I knew exactly what needed to happen. I needed to get out of Savannah where I just went through the crazy experience of being a special operations army unit and deploying to Afghanistan six times and going through a divorce and losing my dog that I loved so much. And, um, 
coming out of that trip, I knew right away what I needed to do, and it was to get out of there. And so I started putting in resumes to skydiving drop zones in Florida, different parts of the East Coast, and wasn't really hearing anything back for months. And then uh, I heard that Skydive Moab was hiring, and I didn't really know anything about Moab. I knew that Andy lived there, and I knew that there was base jumping, so that was very appealing to me. So I gave away everything I owned in my house. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> cleared it out, gave away everything. Pilot and I packed up, we drove to my hometown, and um, my grandfather helped me build this little tiny home on the back of my truck that I was going to drive out to Moab and live in, and did exactly that. <clears throat> drove to Moab, and got to Moab on April 4th, 2018, and I knew from the second that I pulled into Moab that I was home. This is this is where I belong. It was an immediate feeling, and it's something I think about all the time. And <clears throat> if it wasn't for making that move, um, it's hard to say where I would be right now. <laughs> but getting out of Georgia was uh, a must. It's something that I, I that had to happen. Um, and so moving to Moab really changed my life and I I owe it all to that DMT trip I mean after that I woke up every single day and <clears throat> I would listen to very powerful uplifting good music and that's kind of where the the whole music spark started you know um found my way into Moab and went to some friends wedding party um, in October of 2018, um, some friends that were skydivers and base jumpers, and uh, it was kind of like a, a rave-type wedding party. I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and then a month later, went to Turkey Boogie, which is an event that happens every week during Thanksgiving every year in Moab. And Turkey Boogie is just a big kind of base jumping event. There's a huge party at the end of the event, at the end of the week. Um, <clears throat> and that's where that spark was like, wow, how do I do this every day? <laughs> um, and <laughs> it's like, I need to become a DJ. Like, I want to become a DJ. It, how do I make that happen? So another year goes around, you know, I'm still skydiving, skydive Moab. Um, and, and this thought is just, creeping up on me like slowly but surely like you're gonna be a dj you're gonna be a dj you're gonna be i mean it was strong um so 2019 turkey boogie comes back around um and at this time i'm with my partner faye we had met in 2019 and uh her and i went to the party together and it was like wow like yeah this is this is it this is what i this is what i my soul needs um just being in that space, this this container that was safe and free and with all of these beautiful people that were just open and connected. And it's like I that's what I want to do. Like I wanna I wanna create these spaces. I wanna be a part of this. Um 
And so I immediately became a DJ. Um, I remember after a Turkey Boogie 2019, the next day I flew to Thailand with two friends and spent two months in Thailand and Lao. And uh, went to a lot of parties over there um, with DJs. And the whole time, the whole trip, that's all I could think talk about was like, oh, I want to be a DJ. I'm going to be a DJ. As soon as, we're get, we, as soon as we get home, I'm going to start DJing. And yeah, as soon as I got home from that trip, I, I, I bought some equipment from my, my good friend, Jason. Uh, he was still in Thailand at the time. I bought some, you know, little, little DJ deck off of him and then quarantine hit. Um, and I think quarantine was so good for, for me and because Faye and I, we lived in her ambulance out in the desert we both worked at the drop zone and so we you know we lived out there in the desert for three years next to the airport yeah you know i you guys gave me a spot out there during the pandemic you um that yeah. one spot out in the desert yeah yeah I, I remember that i remember that yeah um that was a really special time um but yeah quarantine hit and i was like all right this is this is it this is here we are. And so I, I taught myself how to skydive or sorry, how to, how to DJ. Um, and as soon as quarantine ended, I threw a party for one of my best friends, Drew. He was turning 30. He's never had a birthday party in his life. <laughs> Pretty crazy. So I was like, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta throw a party, you know? So and this was kind of, um, the first time that I had reached out to other DJs and organized an entire desert party by myself, DJ lineup, you know, all the you know, speakers and lighting and invitations, um, and, and sent out a bunch of invitations. But when it, when the party actually kicked off that night, I mean, there was 400 people, <laughs> And it was just mind blowing, you know, coming right out of quarantine, like people needed it. They needed to get out and, and release some very serious built up energy. Um, and that was kind of the first, that was the first desert party that I had, I had thrown. And then from there on, it was, it, it just became a thing. And it, it yeah. Just... Yeah, dude, I, I just want to say that like, you and Faye's desert parties that like Faye's invited me to and like you invited me to those have been like some of the most fun nights I've ever had in my life like you guys are really 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 good at that and like Faye's creativity and like your skills are there it's phenomenal like thank you and it's crazy that that it's just like out in the desert when like so many people come out and it's such like a a fun warm environment and everybody can be as free as they want to be and it's it's really, really incredible, like the space you that you've created out there. I, it's, it takes it's really a village to me. Like, yeah, it takes a village. Yeah, yeah, I it know. It takes a and village. And it's crazy because you know? it's like all it's all sourced just from the community. You know, it's it's not yep. like there's any like big entity behind it. It's just it's just like people wanting to do really cool stuff and like making it happen. It's super cool. It's beautiful, man. And and from the outside looking in to, you know, anyone that's never experienced these types of events, you know, it, it probably looks like a, a bunch of drug addicts getting together and just getting weird <laughs> in the desert, you know. Um, 
but it's so much more to to a lot yeah, of us. I mean, that I'm is, sure there is, is sort of that aspect of it, but uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. there's probably drugs totally. going around, you know. But, sure, absolutely, uh, you know. And, um, and uh, you mean, of course, like you're gonna with those types of parties that you throw, you're gonna attract like drug addicts and stuff. But uh, but no, totally. for the most part, it's just like community, like bonding and um, that's what it, creating yeah, friends exactly. and like being open and yeah. No, it's exactly. I think it's you know, doing I mean, way more good than bad. It, it's doing. It does maybe seem like it's a bunch of drugs, but it's it's kind of not. Like, it's, I mean, there it's are not. drugs going around, but it's yeah. You're no. yeah. You're you're totally right. You're totally right. It's so much more than that. You know, this is this is church for a lot of us, and there's there's so much just good connection that that happens. It's 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 so inspiring, and it's it's very addicting, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you get together in that kind of environment and you're connecting with other humans in um, that way, it's a, a feeling that is unmatched really. It's real. it's, we've done some really cool events, <laughs> some really cool events and it's all, it's, it's, yeah, and it's you know it's like I said, it takes a village, and it's all community based, and it's it's beautiful. It's so inspiring to see everyone from the community coming together and and making it happen. And that's what it, that's what it's all about, you know. That's what I love seeing it. I, community yeah. is so important in every kind of way, you know. If you don't have community, you're not gonna progress at all. It's so important. Um, yeah, and like I, you, you did what where you were like floating down the Colorado River, and you're like on a like boat and like DJing, and there's like a bunch of like rafters around. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that's so creative and like so so cool. So Tiffany is actually the mastermind behind that event. It's called Floating Man, and we did the first one uh, in 2020 when Burning Man was canceled. Um, and we were like, oh man, we got to do something. And Tiffany just had this amazing idea. You know, she's a, she's a river person and uh, floating man was born. And wow, that, that event has turned into really something special every year, every year we've done it. And yeah, it's really cool. Just floating down the Colorado river. We have two rafts that we put together. We build a stage on top. And so we'll DJ going down the river and everyone has their rafts and their boats and they're just floating along. And it's a, it's a really unique party, <laughs> you know, and then we'll find a, a, a beach or an Island or something to pull off onto and continue the party all night long and then float out the next day. Really cool event. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. That's such a creative idea. It is. That's what's so yeah. that's what's so amazing about Moab and the people that Moab attracts. It's the most creative and the the ta- the creative creativity and the talent of the people they're just mind blowing. <laughs> it's so inspiring. No, it's mind blowing. It is, man. It is. And everyone's hot. <laughs> everyone's hot <laughs> everyone's yeah. smart yeah, no, and creative and just wickedly talented and oh it's just such a beautiful thing i love it so much yeah seriously i mean 
when you get like a bunch of creative, like outdoor, like action sports minded people that know like how to do everything, like you can do like so many crazy things. Like you can do anything. Oh, possibilities are endless. Like you can go, I bet. Like, have you ever um, had like a party on top of Castleton? I bet you could. Oh, we totally could. Yeah, there's enough people. Yeah. Yeah. We totally could. We actually, we actually, we did one on top of the rectory, which is right across from Castleton. And we, we, um, we took a helicopter to the top and we, it was like six trips down and up to, to load up all the equipment. It's my buddy Rusty's helicopter and he, he loaded up all the equipment and all of the homies on his heli and he just put everyone to the top and we partied all night long on top <laughs> And then the next day, a bunch of people so base, cool. base jumped off, and then we loaded up the equipment and flew back down. <laughs> it's so silly. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, it's so silly. Yeah. yeah, like like you were saying, just like the creativity and like the like super talent of like everybody that lives in Nod, it just creates this beautiful thing. Oh, it's so beautiful, yeah, it's man. This is why it's been so so life changing for me. Like. <clears throat> Moab is home. I couldn't, I, I could, I can't picture myself anywhere else. Um, even though Moab is a very tough place to live, you know, it, it's tough. It's, uh, it's hot. <laughs> it's very touristy. You know, it's a very small very town. Like, you know, we only have like 5,000 residents there that are there year round, but fuck like four five, six million visitors a year. It's, um, Yeah it's a tough place to live um but i just i can't picture myself anywhere else it's home the the feeling that i get from yeah being I, in moab i have a hard so so when i lived in moab it was mostly like in a van and yeah I, like we were neighbors um for a while there yeah um, and i just found it hard like in the summer in the winter because like in the summer it's brutal hot and you like gotta yeah, you know, being in the van is like really hard, and then in the winter it's even harder because it's cold. So it's like, you know, it's what hundred degrees more than a hundred degrees in the summer, and like it easily gets to like negative in the winter. So easily, yeah. yeah. And then the rent is so like hard. Yeah, man, it's um, it's expensive. Yeah, I mean, I, I did it for several years. So yeah, yeah, and the rent's expensive. Very yeah, expensive. That's a big problem. We got there. lucky with our place. Now we live in our our friend's property. And it's a beautiful property and there's trees and so much shade. And we have a, a, a million dollar view of the, 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 the Red Rock Cliffs and the LaSalle Mountains. And I have my own little studio space in my backyard that's separate from the house that we lived in. So that's a good escape for me. And my studio is my, that's my, that's my place. That's, <laughs> that's my spot. Um, <clears throat> love yeah. escaping to yeah. to that and getting in there and being creative. So let me ask you, uh, what have you done for money? Um, you know, so you worked at the drop zone as a skydiving instructor, so that probably paid the bills. Yeah. Um, how do you pay your bills now? So I've, you know, I've, I got really lucky um, with, you know, early in my life in my twenties kind of building some some monthly passive income um i I still get paid uh disability from the military 
Um, and then I also have my house in Savannah that I rent out. Um, and so that keeps me afloat. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't allow me to buy plane tickets to travel all across the world or anything, but it keeps me afloat and it allows me to do this full-time artist life. And so I've been very lucky, um, financially in that way. Um, still, you know, money is kind of, I never grew up with money. My, you know, my family, we were poor. <laughs> um, and money has never been super attractive to me, like ever. It's not a, it's not a big motivator for me. It's, it's not a driving force for me. And I, I just, I kind of just don't care about it. I care more about experiences and, you know, I know money allows yeah. you to kind of have experiences, but if you do it right, <laughs> you don't need money to have a good experience with anything. Um, and so I've always chased experiences yeah. um, over money. You know, if I wanted to make a ton of money, I could. You know, it's, it's something about me that it, when I find passion in something, I am all in and there's no stopping me like all in. So if money was a big passion for me, fuck, I'd probably be the richest dude in the world, but it's just not, you know, it's not. Um, and yeah, and, yeah. and I hate, I mean, there's something to be said. About, there's something to be said about um, having enough money. To where you can be comfortable and just not have to worry about it, but the endless chase of money seems exhausting. Like you might lose yourself in it, and, and a lot of people do. Fun and like, you have money, but. yeah, and a lot of people do. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have nothing but money. <laughs> um, yeah, that doesn't make you happy. It's like finding a balance. You know, yeah, balance is important. And there is something to say, with like. There is something to say about, like, you can always get more money, but you can't get more time. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, time is way more important than money. Oh, I feel that, man. Opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm very picky about my time. Very, uh, my time and my energy and, and what I put my time and energy into. It has to be, it has to be meaningful to me. It has to, has to bring me joy. I'm all about chasing what brings me joy. And if it doesn't bring me joy, fuck it. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not wasting my time on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you only have one life, supposedly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Who knows? As far as, far as we know. Yeah. Who knows? So, um, what's, uh, what, what do you want to achieve like, where do you see yourself in, like, the next 10 years? Yeah. Man, I think about this a lot, you know. I've, uh... In 10 years, I... My biggest pursuit right now is building the Redfoot project, you know. Um, Redfoot is more than just my name. And it is actually my last name. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and, it, and it has a very interesting history to it. But it's, it's, I've managed to turn my name into my brand and my business. And so 
the biggest thing for me right now is is pursuing that project and building myself as a as an artist as a as a, a producer a dj a music producer an event producer a, a dj um and so in 10 years you know i i it all sounds kind of crazy you know but i i i i still see myself as a dj and you know selling out shows <laughs> it's a big that's a huge goal i've given myself a 10 year goal to to play at red rocks um that's something that i really want like to to play at that venue you know even if it's for just opening for another artist like that's a huge goal for me um i also have my business redfoot production and that is turned into full on silent disco company and so I'm looking to continue building that and um, building the, the silent disco scene, which, by the way, is a absolute game changer. <laughs> you could, you know, you could. Yeah, dude, I mean, me and my girlfriend are going to one tonight in, oh, uh, in awesome. Carson City. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a really good investment for us. And I need to thank my business partner, Scott, for helping to fund that um we went to our first silent disco a year ago at planet v festival in natarita and they did a silent disco and after the festival scott comes to me and he he's like hey man i'm buying some silent disco they're gonna they're gonna belong to redfoot productions and i'm putting your logo on them (laughs) i was like all right dude Uh yeah let's let's do this together man (laughs) and so yeah, that's a great idea. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's been so this July 4th will be our one year anniversary of uh, our silent disco, which yep, check it out, man. Come come hang with us. We're going to do a big July 4th celebration silent disco in Moab. Um, but uh, yeah, going back yeah, to the I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see if I can. I'll send you I some info. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess going back to my yeah. my ten year goal, that's that's. I'm not sure, you know. It's hard to say where I see myself in ten years because I'm open to to whatever happens, you know. Maybe, you know, maybe something else creeps in, and then you know, I, I you know, who who knows? <laughs> I'm very open to to whatever happens, and I think that's important to to stay open to you know, whatever could and will happen. Um, you know, I've, I've lived so many different yeah, lives I mean, already and I'm, I'm just waiting for, for what's next, you know, it's just like skydiving. I never thought that I would get out of the sport of skydiving, but you know, I quit skydiving two years ago to pursue this path full time. And it may come down to it in the next 10 years that I need to leave this to pursue something else you know but where i would like to see myself in the next 10 years is you know a a successful music producer a successful dj a successful entrepreneur and um just uh uh a good person my grandfather always told me growing up like it doesn't matter what you do just be a good person um and i i fully 100% believe that the whole reason why I exist 
is to inspire other people to just do it, whatever it is, just do it. I've, I've said it several times already, chase your joy, whatever brings you that joy, not, not your happy, chase your joy, because if something brings you joy, and if that's going to bring you happiness, because when you are just overfilled with that joy, it shows that energy just bleeds out and everyone feels it. And I truly believe that's what my purpose is right now is to, to spread that love and that, that openness and the connection and just be an inspiration for, for anyone that needs that inspiration. If you know, I've, I've accomplished a lot and I think there's a lot of people out there that just don't know how to do it. Like you just, there's no right or wrong way. You just have to do it, (laughs) whatever it is. It's so scary. It's so scary stepping out of your, your comfort zone and being vulnerable to putting yourself out there. You know, it's, it's a scary thing to be, to be vulnerable and open and, knowing that you're going to be judged, whether it's in a positive way or a negative way, you know, you just fuck what everyone else thinks, chase your fucking joy and just do it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I hear you like very loud and clear about that, you know, I mean, like it took your wife leaving you and, um, taking the, the cats, right. And, um, and uh, I mean, same for me, like I was engaged and like had a house in Lake Tahoe and, you know, like really amazing life that I loved a lot. And then, you know, one day it was all taken away because yeah. she decided to leave. And then, you know, I was left with a dog as well. And Nemo is still, you know, mm-hmm. in my life. He's, he's great. But uh, it, it took that kick in the ass to like really like you know yeah. i didn't do any dmt for that i just laid in my bed and cried for like a month oh me too man and i was like you know what i'm just gonna do whatever i want yes do <laughs> so, what you I mean, want I, and i feel like it yeah i feel like it takes that like little kick in the ass of like oh my life just fell apart and now i'm not gonna do that anymore or i'm not gonna do that again you know isn't it wild to think uh, about I feel, I feel like that's such a that's such like um a Moab thing. I feel like everybody that gets to Moab and gets into these sports sort of has like the same thing. Like to be, you have to have some sort of trauma to like kick you in the ass. I think. Sure. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I've always said that Moab is a place that attracts people that need to heal. Moab is a very healing place and it attracts people and it calls to people and it, pulls people in that need to heal and if you surrender to it it will do exactly that it will do exactly that it's that place and the people in that place have helped me overcome so much trauma and pain that now you know i i feel like i'm just cruising and cruising along and i feel good and yeah, yeah you're living your your true life your best life and you're not 
you're not stuck <laughs> in some marriage stuck. that you didn't really want and right. with a mortgage and right you know yeah yeah, yeah it, that's what it's all about that's what the podcast's about you know just yeah how do we escape and live the life that we really want to live you know yeah and it's oh man it's so scary to to take that leap and actually escape and live the life that you want to live you know it's scary like i said it's can be uh, very intimidating being vulnerable to that and and just diving in head first you know it's just you gotta you just you have to do it and think um yeah 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 i know i mean when i uh when when i started i uh i got a job in yosemite national park and i just like took off and i mean i remember i got up at like three in the morning because i had to i mean the registration was at like 9 a.m but like you could go like you could show up anytime but i was just so gung-ho to be in the valley that i woke up at 3 a.m like with all of my stuff packed and just like hit it yeah man (laughs) and then i lived in the valley for like two years and then like dirt bagged for like another year it was the best times of my life man and then for real though moved to moab um I moved to Moab like in the in August of my first season, and I spent like two months in Moab, or then I moved back to Yosemite, and mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, Yosemite and Moab are like amazing places to like heal and like rock climb and like make new friends, and everybody's pretty much on the same level, just really happy and like pursuing a path and like loving life. Yeah, I haven't, so, I haven't yeah, been out to Yosemite it wasn't, yet. It wasn't very scary for me. So. Sure. Yeah, I, I feel the same. It wasn't it wasn't scary for me either. It felt natural. It felt natural and I, I felt I felt yeah. Yeah. Um I felt amazing. I was like Oh so good. Great. Just liberating. Just a and, huge weight lifted off your shoulders, you know. Yeah, and I mean I I had like four hundred dollars to my name. Because <laughs> yeah. I had to like pay I had to like pay a bunch of rent to like and like stuff to get out of the situation mm, yeah. that I was in. And um, yeah. And I like, I ran out of money in, in Yosemite, like completely. Um, and I had to borrow 20 bucks from a coworker uh, just to get along. But I mean, yeah, man, I still don't regret anything. Don't, don't regret anything. It, it all happens for a reason, you know, even, even all that pain and hurt and suffering You know, it's like crazy to think about when my dog died, like that was more painful than my wife leaving me and wanting a divorce. You know, that was um, even through all that pain and that hurt, like so much good came from it. Because even though it's like crazy to say, if he hadn't passed away, it it would have been almost impossible for me to live out of my tiny truck in the desert of Moab with two big dogs (laughs) you know um it's just it's it's crazy to think about how these things happen so that better things can happen and and that really taught me to look at every situation more positively you know now i've i've trained myself to to where my brain just no matter what situation comes up, my brain will just automatically switch to the positive of that situation. And that's what I focus on. 
And, and that's the reason that I feel like things are going so well in my life is because I, I really like, I'm very positive person (laughs) and I had to train myself to be that way. You know, it doesn't come easy. You know, it's, it's very easy to focus on the negative or the bad in, in any given situation. It's, it's easy, you know, cause that stuff's scary in its own little way. And looking at things on a more positive side is a lot harder. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially like living in a van or relying on a vehicle to be like your main domicile, mm-hmm. like, you know, like you're kind of like anxious that it's going to break down in the middle of the desert and oh, you're yeah. going to be kind of like screwed up, you know, like <laughs> you kind of don't have any options. Yep. Um, but, but also like, you know, pulling off on the side of the desert under like a big open sky and like just basking in the glory of like the Milky Way. Oh it's just, man. It's all worth it, you know. I remember the first time I saw the Milky Way, I was, uh, you know, I'd only been in Moab a month and like, <laughs> it's so embarrassing, man. You don't see that shit on the East Coast like ever, you know? I had no idea. And here I am in the middle of the desert and it's dark out. And uh, I, I'm looking at the sky like every night for like a month. And I'm like, why are those clouds in the same spot every night? <laughs> like, I, and then I was like, wait a minute, that's the Milky Way. It's because, I don't know, it just, everything was so new to me, you know, just coming straight out of the military, just kind of being closed minded in a, in a way. Um, and then getting to Moab and even within a month, like just the, the openness that started to creep in to my life and everything was so new. It's like, wow, I feel like I had just been like born again. But yeah. I remember just looking at the Milky yeah. Way and it looking like clouds for some reason to me. I was like, what? <laughs> these clouds are in the same spot every night. What's happening? And then, um, then yeah, <laughs> then it clicked and I was like, Oh wow, that is cool. Brand new world. Yeah. Yeah, I just like going out in the middle of the night to, to like pee or something, look up and I'm like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Or just like sleeping out, you know, under the stars, cowboy camp style. Just like oh my god. Oh yeah, man. That's what I did like, for three wow. years. Sleep outside, air mattress. Oh wow. So Yeah, what a beautiful life. Oh, it was really good. Really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I, I got to experience that kind of, that, that dirtbag lifestyle, as I guess most would say. So it was very, it, 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 it complete 180. You know, I was in that fuck it stage of my life. Like, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. I'm, I'm tired of being told what to do and uh, I'm tired of not living my life on my own terms and moving to Moab really allowed me to start doing that. Um, and it was a very just freeing experience to, to be able to live out of my vehicle and meet my, my partner who also lived out of her vehicle and then us doing it together. And, you know, now we have a place and we don't really miss that lifestyle so much um it it served its purpose at the right time in both of our lives um you know we we but we still love going out and camping in the desert man there's nothing like it yeah 
Yeah, I've been somewhat domesticated now too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a house and a girlfriend and you know, I don't live in the van anymore. Yeah. Though I'd love to, but True. yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm good at where I'm at. You know, sometimes you have to grow up a little. Yeah. Uh, get out of that kind of stage of your life. Yeah. Um, but like it's also nice to know that like we've been there and if anything goes wrong we can just go right back. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've yeah. We're like, because of, you know, learning how to live like that, we've become professional campers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we're good at it. Faye and I have a system for when we're yeah. packing up to, you know, we travel a lot for you know, shows, festivals, all types of events. And a lot of them are like camping events. And we have just such a good flow with getting everything packed up and then, getting to camp, setting up camp. And, you know, we've invested a lot of money into uh, our camping stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we really love to curate a really good vibe with how we set up our camps and um, very inviting places for people to come and join and relax and, and just, yeah, connect. Bringing community together, that's what it's all yeah. about. All right, dude. It's been an hour and ten minutes. Um, do you want to plug uh, Redfoot Productions? Yeah, or anything. Redfoot Productions on Instagram or www.redfoot.productions. This is my silent disco business. Um, um, we're gonna start working on some rebranding for that as well, so that it reflects you know silent disco a lot more because the vision has changed a lot since the the birth of redfoot productions um also redfoot music on instagram or my website www.redfootmusic.party um hi i'm a dj i'd love to play at your show <laughs> hit me up um, i actually just played my first headlining show here in salt lake last night and uh wow uh yeah sick really dude. i wish i was in the audience i wish you were too the vibes were top top tier 10 out of 10 recommend i bet jason yeah, i mean I, every show i've been to two of yours has always been like really high energy and really cool real like, man yeah. just the, it's really it's really a special thing you're doing thank you man i appreciate that yeah and i want to you know also thank you for for um, having me on and wanting to hear, you know, kind of uh, a, a little smidget of my life. It's, it's something that I've been, a lot of people have been asking me about lately. And um, can you still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. My AirPods are about to die. Yeah. It's just something that yeah, I, yeah. I, it's a good thing for me to kind of, let out especially things about the military because as i get older the more i start to process all of that bullshit um you know and it starts to make yeah, more sense totally yeah and so it's it's really good for me to get that that out it's it's sometimes hard to talk about even you know when i was talking about it earlier i could feel my throat starting to close up my heart started pounding some it's it, yeah. that's a crazy experience for a young 20 year old to to go through you know, but anyway, 
yeah thank you for just for for listening and 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 doing this man i i really appreciate it and i love um i I love the whole meaning behind this new project of yours it's beautiful yeah yeah i you know and you're like a perfect example of like what i'm looking for so yeah really loved having you on and um i'll see you later buddy yeah man thank you so much man we'll see you soon love you much Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, hello again, and thank you for listening to the Roots Away podcast. I really love what I'm doing here, and Ryan Redfoot is an amazing person to be on this podcast. You know, I forgot to tell him how much I loved him at the end there. So, Ryan, if you're listening, love you so much, buddy. Can't wait for lots of more friendship and love and community and everything in between. Thank you for everybody that listens to this podcast. Please share it so that uh, we can share and spread the love as much as possible. Thank you again, Jason Ringenberg, Roots Away Podcast. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, spread the love. Love yourself. You, come on.